You know, last year we, and it sounds like it was such a long time ago, right? <laughs> uh, last year we walked through the Old Testament and looked and it looked at some of the the more significant texts that uh, demonstrated God's dealings with with His people through the Old Testament. Uh, we, we saw how the people were enslaved in Egypt and how they cried out to God for help, and and we learned that God is a God who hears, who responds and who wants to rescue uh, his people. But the way he chooses to rescue can sometimes catch us off guard because his primary method is to tap someone on the shoulder, fill them with a spirit and say, now I want you to be the person to liberate my people. I want you to be the ones to take the lead. I'll go with you, but I want you to be involved. Our text this morning comes from Luke chapter 4. If you want to be turning over there, uh, we'll get to it in just a second. But as we go through the Bible, we see again and again and again that it's God's nature to be a rescuing God. That's who he is. Every time he hears the people cry out, he hears and then he acts on their behalf. He tries to fix what is wrong. His goal is to create a world that is functioning the way he designed uh, and that means fixing the broken places and healing the hurt places. Before Moses died, Moses said, after me, there will come one who will be even greater than I. Pointing to that time when someone would come, someone greater than him. Well, if we jump ahead some 1200 or so years to a small town called Nazareth, Saturday morning, a group of Jewish men are gathered at the synagogue and they're there because one of their own little kids who's grown up, Jehoshua or Joshua or Jesus, is coming back to read the scripture in their synagogue. There have been reports that he has been doing things in other places and now they get a chance to see him. They get a chance to witness his miracles. They get a chance to be proud for him and also because they knew him when. Luke chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee with the Holy Spirit's power, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the entire region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his home, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him, was amazed 
by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they said. Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe, a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, but only one was healed. The only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. The text Jesus read from Isaiah chapter 61 was one that we looked at last year as we were going through various texts and getting ready for the coming of, um, uh, during our time of Advent, waiting for the, the Lord's birth. Everyone there knew that text. They knew that there would be a day, someday, when that text would be fulfilled. In, in their collective thinking, they felt it would come at the end of time when the Messiah would come and the Messiah would bring about all these wonderful things and give them the life that they had always wanted. He would set everything right. This deliverer would deal with all the oppression, would deal with all of the burdens, and then Jesus comes and he says, now, it's starting, it starts today. Everything that you have been longing for and everything that you have been hoping for as a nation, as a people, begins today. And he says that it's going to happen through him. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. We saw that the spirit came down on Jesus when he was baptized. The spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. The spirit has been with him as he's gone around preaching. And now the spirit is upon him again. I am the one that Isaiah was talking about. I am the one Moses was talking about. I am the deliverer. I am the rescuer. Well, it was a little bit more than the people could take. They remembered Jesus as a kid. And perhaps someone shouted out, wait a second. I remember you. You used to climb my tree in my backyard and I would yell at you to get down before you fell and broke your neck. And someone else might say, yeah, you know, I grew up with you. And I remember we used to go to the little pond and we would throw rocks. And I could throw rocks farther than you. How are you going to be the Messiah? I don't see it. The people were crying out. We know you. You're Joseph's son. <laughs> Get over yourself. This last week, I was talking to an older member who had just had a conversation with. He's a young adult now, but at one point he was in the youth group and the older man said he was talking to me like an expert, like he knew exactly what he's talking about. 
And I was thinking to myself, when did this kid become an expert? When did Jesus become this expert in the law and in the scriptures? And where did he think? Who did he think he was? And where did he come off talking like this? You know, the, the reception started well. They were very happy and they might have elbowed one another and said, man, look at how he's pronouncing the scriptures and he knows how to read them. Because see, in Hebrew, the, the original Hebrew text, they don't have vowels. It's just consonants. And so you have to know the text in order to read it properly. And he did it perfectly. And so they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Typically, that's meant to be understood as the, the way he spoke so professionally and so confidently. In Greek, it actually says the words of, they were amazed at the words of grace that came from his mouth. And so it kind of actually seems to make more sense if Luke would have been telling us that they were astonished that he was speaking about God's grace and God's grace for everybody, not just Jewish people. That he was talking about God's grace for foreigners, for Gentiles, for women, for all of the nations. Because you see, when Jesus was reading this text from Isaiah 61, he didn't read all of verse 2. He left off the very end of that verse. The verse reads that the Lord, Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and then verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And those were code words for the Jewish people. This is when God is going to wreak havoc on the Romans, on their oppressors, on all those that have taken advantage of the Jewish people for all these years. And so it almost seems as if Jesus is saying God's grace is for everyone, even these no good for nothing Roman scoundrels. And it seems pretty clear that was the direction that this conversation went, because then Jesus gives two examples to make his point. First example comes from Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in Jewish thinking. He says there was this tremendous famine for three and a half years. There was no rain. There was no food. And, and where did the prophet Elijah go? Where was he sent? To a widow, lowest on the socioeconomic ladder. But she wasn't a Jewish Israelite widow. She was a foreigner who lived in a foreign land. And then the second example is from Elisha, another prophet, Elijah's successor. There were plenty of lepers in Israel, but that's not who Elisha was sent to. He was sent to Naaman, a Syrian commander of the very army that was attacking Israel at that time. You can understand how the people's emotions got worked up. You know, we ought to be elated when God decides to help out those who are in trouble. I mean, that's good news, right? When God hears people who are crying and God responds and God wants to rescue. But, but Jesus sometimes is just way more inclusive than, than we're comfortable with. 
And he wants to invite people into his kingdom that, well, we just don't know. Inviting our enemies, the ornery, people who are addicted, people who drive us crazy, people we can't stand. It's one thing for God to rescue us. But God crosses that line and he rescues the people that we really wouldn't care much about. You know, as you think about all of the ways that we can help, and as Stephen kind of made reference to that in his devotional talk, there's a lot of reasons why we don't help. In our minds, we might think they don't deserve it. They got themselves in trouble. (laughs) Let themselves get out. I have my own needs. I'm just doing good to stay alive. Any any money I might give is going to get wasted or spent on frivolous or at best and at worst, more booze. I'm not going to give any money to them. We might think, you know, there's just, it's overwhelming. There's too many needs. What is my little bit going to do? It's a drop in a huge ocean. You know, when we're so used to something, it's hard to see past what we're familiar with. I, I, I think this text is, is so familiar to us that it's kind of hard to hear it. It, it, it happens in a lot of different settings and contexts. As Stephen mentioned, this is Martin Luther King Jr.'s weekend holiday. Uh, celebrating and honoring his birth on January 15th. In August of 1963, uh, King delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech. Many of you might have studied that in school. If you haven't read it, you can find it easily online. I would encourage you to do so. He delivered from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. You know, I was present at that speech. I don't remember it. Uh, but uh, I had arrived from Korea. I was four years old. My dad wanted to go, and he took me with him. And he says that uh, uh, um, if if you look at the pictures really well, and they're all blurry, and uh, most of them are black and white, and you really can't make out faces, but if you look way down there beside the uh, reflecting pool, you'll see a white guy with a Korean kid on his shoulders. Uh, (laughs) I've looked, but I haven't uh, found us. But but in his speech, Martin Luther King Jr. points out, he's speaking in 1963, that in 1776, the Declaration of Independence said, all men, all men, black and white, and all people of, all men of color were created equal and were guaranteed the un- Alienable rights, you can't have them taken away from you, ever, of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 1776. A hundred years later, in 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation saying that all those men created equal, who ended up being slaves, should be freed. And so he signed the proclamation. 
And, and then King in his speech says, I, I have a dream that, that one day this nation, one day, because it wasn't happening in 1963, 200 years later, one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And when this happens, he continues, when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all God's children, black, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing the words, the old Negro spiritual, <laughs> free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. The next year, 1964, we saw the Civil Acts Rite passed, and that prohibited discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, gender, or national origin. This wasn't new. From the very beginning of Scripture, we see that all people, men and women, were created in God's image. But it took hundreds of years of this familiar idea that we're all created equal to finally break through and says, yes, that means everybody. And all men also includes women. That took another hundred years. Sometimes things are just so familiar that we accept it and we don't think about it and we just continue to perpetuate whatever actions, good or bad, that we've experienced. You know, in the, in the, in the Greek text, in the book of Luke, the first word that Jesus says as an adult, the beginning of his ministry after he reads the scripture is today. Today. The Jews were wishing for someday. Jesus says, it's today. Someday is now today. You know, this text was so familiar and they had fallen into the trap of thinking, there's no way that we can do anything now. We just have to wait till someday. And Jesus says, now is the day and now means action. I find myself falling into this trap. Well, someday when the pandemic is over, then we'll be able to do this or we'll be able to do that. I think Jesus would challenge us to consider what God is doing today. You know, familiarity can make us blind to our own blind spots. That's why we call them blind spots, right? Jesus says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I've always looked at this kind of as the beginning of his messianic ministry, his ministry as Messiah. But, but there's something else he's saying. He's speaking to a group of people that are gathered. A group of perhaps his hometown friends and family. And he says, today, this scripture is being fulfilled. The poor are being preached to. The blind are receiving sight. The oppressed, those who in slavery are being set free. 
And I think what he was saying, in addition to all the what we've already mentioned, he's saying, some of you who are hearing me today are now being freed. Some of you who were oppressed by sin are now experiencing freedom. You've been blind, but now you have the opportunity to see. You've been enslaved, and now you have the opportunity to be free. You've been ravished by spiritual poverty, and now you have the opportunity to enjoy richness. But like them, we would say, who, me? (laughs) I have a university degree. I have a secure job. I'm not needy. I have a great body. I have a great house. I have a great family. I have a great car. I have everything I need about you. You're not talking about me. I'm not these people or worse. I'm not those people. But yes, today, Jesus has come to rescue you. I don't know what you need rescuing from. Your past, maybe your present, but Jesus is coming to rescue you. One last illustration from another famous theologian, Winnie the Pooh. Pooh and Piglet are walking down a path in the meadow, and Pooh asks Piglet, what day is it today? What day is it? And Piglet squeaks, it's today. My favorite day, says Pooh. Well, I think today is God's favorite day, too. Because he tells us in Scripture that today is the day to be saved. Today is the day to begin and serve others. Today is the day of the Lord. I pray that God would use this day and bless your life and help you to be a blessing as you serve those around you.